Hello, Facebook family and friends. How are you? Hello, everyone. I'm Brian Sheffy. And yes, we're joined. And we're joined, and we're so excited because we're joined by two very special guests. And as you know, this is the first time we've had guests on the show, Dr. Fatima Jackson and Jennifer Caldwell from Howard University. Uh, and before I forget, happy Father's Day. Big shout out to all the dads in the house. Um, hello. Yes, happy Daddy's Day. Happy Daddy's Day. <laughs> so, as you know, um, I'm going to hand this over to Donnie uh, in a minute, but as you know, we're kind of here to talk about the Sheila Hightower DNA Memorial Fund and our partnership with Howard University, how that all works. We really hope you guys have come with, um, with your questions. Don't be shy. Just post them in the comments. Um, I'll be monitoring them as you, po as you post them. And one way or another, you'll get the answers. So I'm going to hand this over to Donia, who's going to talk a little bit more about the show. Yes. So, yes, please definitely post your questions. Um, your questions are going to populate our frequently asked questions section in the Sheila Hightower Allen um, Facebook page. This way, everybody will be able to have the answers to the different, to you know, just to know what they need to know. So very briefly, um, I'm just going to just going to put up here how everybody has said hello. We have a hello from Mary Wright. Harold, hello to all of you guys. You guys came ready. Y'all was waiting for us. Oh, my goodness. Martha and Elizabeth Birdie. Odette said hello. Um, this is going to be an awesome show. Like Brian said, this is all about the Sheila Hightower Allen uh, DNA Edgefield Project that has joined with our wonderful guest, um, Dr. Fatima Jackson and geneticist Jennifer Caldwell. So we want to introduce you guys. Say hello, everybody. Hello, everyone. Hi. <laughs> so I'm making sure everybody's name is up there. So Brian, you go ahead. Okay. So Dr. Jackson, if you'd like to introduce yourself to the audience and kind of tell us a little about a little bit about yourself and the work that you do at um at Howard. Okay. Thank you very much, Brian. And, and thank you, Danya. It's a pleasure and an honor to be here um, this afternoon. Um, my name is Dr. Fatima Jackson. I'm a professor of biology at Howard University, and I'm also director of the W. Montague Cobb Research Lab. And this uh, laboratory contains the largest uh, and oldest collections of African-American skeletal and dental remains. And, and this, this is a collection that um, as I said, it's the largest in the world of African-Americans, and it gives us insight into 400 years of African-American biological history. And so we're very pleased to have been contacted by the Sheila Hightower Memorial Fund and its representatives. Um, and we look forward to collaborating uh, with, um, with uh, this important community and building uh, what I'm going to talk about today, the 1000 African Diaspora Genome Project, of which this project will be a central part. Thank you very much. And Jennifer, if you'd like to introduce yourself and uh, talk a little bit about what you do at Howard University. Okay, great. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Jennifer Caldwell. I'm a doctoral student at Howard University in the genetics department. 
Dr. Fatima Jackson is my principal investigator, uh, and we are collaborating to work on my dissertation project, which will include a genomic profile of the Gullah Geechee of the South Carolina um, area, specifically Charleston and Beaufort counties. And we're going to do a comparative analysis with uh, the Sheila Hightower Memorial Fund and the Edgefield family. And so I'm excited to be here to get this started. So to give you a little bit about a little bit of a background to the Sheila Hightower Memorial DNA Fund and the reason why that came about is Donnie and I have been doing genealogy work together for I don't even want to think how many years now that we've actually known one another. Um, but we've been doing genealogy in a part of South Carolina called the Old 96 District. And we kind of, after about 18 months to two years, we kind of started to realize that we had, one, we had a very complicated family tree. Two, we quickly started to realize that we were related to a whole lot of people in South Carolina, especially that part. Um, and we realized that we were related to people who had a mix of white, black, and Native American ancestry. And the more that we started working with our trees and the larger they got and the more complicated and complex they got, we started noticing the interrelations. We started, we, it started as a joke, really. We just basically started saying, well, we're just related to everyone about two thirds of, of South Carolina. And then we started working with our DNA results. And what started out as a joke is kind of sort of starting to, um, starting to come true. Yeah. Um, actually, not, not kind of sort of, it is coming true. It's coming true, um, that's right. So, what, you know, I guess the premise of where we're coming from is, you know, we think that genealogy can be a really uniting force. It can get people who probably wouldn't ordinarily speak to one another speaking to one another. It's just, I guess it's a really easy, convenient, comfortable way to start making connections with um, all kinds of people. Uh, for me, it's been a rewarding experience. I know it's been a rewarding experience for Donia as well. Uh, and we're just really kind of interesting and intrigued to see where this is going. So pleased that so many of you have started submitting your DNA results. Um, and again, you know, the message seems to be getting out there that this isn't necessarily an African-American genealogical project because um, we're getting DNA samples from just across the board, from everywhere from, what is it, like Lee and Spartanburg, all the way down to North Georgia, uh, and just the length and breadth of, of what was the old 96. So as I said, it's, it's really beginning to look that if you even have one ancestral line that goes back to the colonial era of, I'll just call them the Carolinas, even before North Carolina and South Carolina became two separate uh, colonies, um, a lot of people are going to be related to each other. And again, this has really kind of sparked um, a lot of different conversations. I'm going to hand it back over to Donnie, who can talk a little bit more about Sheila Hightower and the reason why uh, she was passionate about creating this fund. Okay, so Matt, okay, so Brian, you know I was kind of emotional earlier today. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Talking about Sheila. So um, I'm not trying to be emotional, but this came off... This started because Sheila passed. Basically, um, we came up with the idea when she passed. But um, Sheila was very passionate about DNA research and things of that in that nature. And she was even more passionate about proving all of genealogy to be related. I mean, all of Edgefield to be related to each other. And so um, 
basically she was she started to buy kits for people that lived in the area just because she thought that they had that they might be related and she turned out to be right that they were but um when she bought those kits she ended up spending anywhere from 3500 to 4000 dollars of her own personal money so when she died this was the idea that you know that we came up with that Sheila we would honor Sheila by first getting a memorial fund together and um, trying to purchase kits for people who were who didn't who weren't able to buy the kits and we test them with some limitations on not necessarily limitations with some uh, what's the word I'm looking for Brian uh, restrictions yeah with some restrictions where we would have to have to have you know some control over it but they would be able to do all the results see the results and things of that nature so that's what the the original Sheila Hightower Allen DNA Memorial Fund was about but then as we started to grow and we started to think we ended up collecting about $500 and we hadn't purchased anything yet and I said well let's send it out to some people let's see if we can get some people a part of this and I sent it on a Sunday to Dr. Fatima Jackson. When I tell you guys, Dr. Jackson responded back to me within the hour, I knew, <laughs> I knew then that this was a godsend program project and that, you know, this was something that was going to be really, really big. And she responded to me within the hour. She was like, okay, let's set up a time where we can meet and we want to know. So I said, okay, well, let's set this time up. We set the time up. I'm thinking I have to sell Howard on all this. And she immediately got me in contact with Jennifer, who called me about 30 minutes later. Mm -hmm. And so that's how this all happened. And we set this up. And um, as we set all of this up and I went in to talk to them, thinking I'm going to have to sell them on this. You know, we really want them to be a part of this and I'm going to have to do my part. I came in there with the PowerPoint presentation Y'all, I didn't even need the PowerPoint presentation. Dr. Fatima, she just looked, she said, oh, you have a PowerPoint presentation. Oh, well, we can look at it, but I want to see the RS numbers. So she was already sold. <laughs> she was already sold on it, and Jennifer was ready for it, you know, talking with Jennifer, because Jennifer works with um, the Gullah Geechee, which is another thing that we're going to discuss. We actually see the Gullah Geechee project that she's working with ended up merging with our project or ended up running into each other, you know, as far as our project is concerned. So that's how this all got started. And um, I'm so excited and I'm, I'm so happy to have these two women, this HBCU, just us telling our own story. Y'all understand how strong that is that we are in control of this particular story. And not only are we are in control of this story, but we're actually moving to the point where we're trying to push racism completely out the way, you know, to join all of our families, be they black, white, Native American, or what have you. And that's what this project is going to do. Because if we prove that we're all related like that, this should this should put a hole. This should just put a a huge hole in 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 racism. So Brian, yeah, I'm coming back to you. Absolutely. So 
a shout out and hello to all of our to all the people who are just joining us yes. we have people joining us from texas and california so a big shout out to you guys thank you for sharing part of your sunday with us um before we really get into the nuts and bolts of it i have to ask both dr jackson and jennifer i know that both of you have kind of taken up started taking a look at um donnie's family tree my family tree what do you think of that mess? What do you think of that Gordian knot of inter interlinking <laughs> well, families that just keep marrying each other? <laughs> right. Well, that was the way that people married, um, not just African-American families, but also European-American families. So that was the way people married. And there wasn't any long distance relationships. You married the person nearby. And most likely that person nearby was also related to you. Uh, somewhere down the road, because people didn't move around as much as they do today, as they're able to do today. So we're looking at a, a traditional pattern, traditional human pattern, and that makes Edgefield kind of uh, prototypically American. It's, it's actually, this is the way things were done in America up until after the Second World War. So... Um, we expect that, that um, Edgefield will be the all-American town and, and, and that we will see this, this blending of populations that have been socially segregated, but they weren't reproductively segregated. And, and in fact, that's the American story. So I, I, I agree with you. We are able to change the narrative and to create a more um, holistic and honest narrative about who are the Americans, which I think is very sorely needed because as the demographics of the country change, you find that people who presume themselves to be in the majority are feeling anxious and getting and doing, beginning to do even more reactionary things. And so what we wanna do is get them to understand that the genes don't discriminate, you know? <laughs> and so that we can have these genes all mixed together in a genome and they all cooperate with each other, working together to benefit the individual who's carrying that genome. So if the genes can get along, why can't we? <laughs> Absolutely, amen to that. I love it. <laughs> I mean, just to give you guys one quick example, and it's a family that Donnie and I share in common. They're called the Holloways. The Holloways actually started in England as Quakers, and they were already part of a highly endogenous, um, and that by that I mean just interrelated families that were marrying each other. And it happens in a lot of religious communities. The Quakers, one, Men Mennonites are another one. Ashkenazi Jewish communities are yet another one. Mm -hmm. So by the time the Holloways even rocked up to Pennsylvania in 1690, whenever they arrived here, they were already related, closely related to about 15 to 20 Quaker families. Mm -hmm. They left England, they went to Northern Ireland, then they came to Pennsylvania. When the Mid-Atlantic co uh, colonies started really phasing out slavery or making slavery much more difficult to practice, the Holloways moved south, and they settled in uh, Old 96, part of which became Edgefield. The, a lot of the, for whatever reason, there was a culture within the Holloway family where a lot of the kind of enslaving Holloway men did have sexual relations with enslaved women. So the product of those unions 
were already related to a lot of white families in Edgefield just through that one connection alone. And when you start getting different pockets of multiracial people, um, especially those who are enslaved, uh, being passed down from generation to generation within the same family, you've got you know, a wife coming into a marriage with um, her, her dowry slaves, which her family gave her as part of her, her marriage settlement. Some of those people could already be related to her husband's enslaved population or not. But within a couple of generations, you can kind of see how that starts happening. A lot of that European DNA is now getting passed back and forth within a community that would identify itself as being African-American or people of color. Uh, and as well, in the course of our research, you know, we found deeds where Native Americans were enslaved. Even though that was highly illegal for that to happen, it happened. So again, a lot of us start seeing that we have little snippets of, of uh, Native American popping out in our results too. But as, you know, and as Donnie and I have spoken about many, many, many times, our people had kids. And as Dr. Jackson was saying, I don't care if they were white or black, Native American, whatever they were, they were having anywhere from nine kids to 15 kids to sometimes 20 kids. And as you know, with the story of Moses Williams, 45 kids. <laughs> so you think about all of those kind of mini-me's with the little, you know, those little packets of DNA, you know, highly endogenous DNA that connects them to so many different families, all having loads of kids themselves. And that DNA just goes out further and further and further. But I've, correct me if I'm wrong as well. <clears throat> I think one of the things that also really kind of got Dr. Jackson and Jennifer's attention is when Donnie and I started talking about the health issues that we're, that we're aware of in our family. So we said there's a lot of stuff that deals with the head, um, migraines, headaches, autism. Um, I've already spoken about my Martin Fugate family in, in Virginia. Heart, who, the heart issues. Uh, the heart issues as well in South Carolina. My, Mar my Fugate Martins in, um, in Virginia married their first cousins way too many times, and now there's a recessive gene that if you hook up with another cousin and have a kid, and you carry this gene, your kids are gonna come out blue. Um, that's not an exaggeration. The skin's blue, the lips, the tongue, everything is blue. Um, so there is, a, there is a genetic component to all of this kind of, this intermarriage, and that's one of the things that we're really excited to be working with um, Howard University for them to be able to take a look at that. So Jennifer, what's your take on um, on the tree when you saw it? I know you told me about Dr. Jackson, like, wow. <laughs> so what's your take? There was so much overlap. We had to keep, like, keep clicking on certain family members so it would expand so we could kind of see who was at the root because they were actually overlapping so many times. Yeah. It was like, oh, we need to actually make a family tree ourselves. Um, but from a genetics perspective, you're absolutely right. We're highly interested in understanding um, the origin of diseases within your family, especially congenital diseases, recessive diseases. Um, also, South Carolina being in the heart of the stroke belt is one of the main reasons why this project is very important. We know that the Port of Charleston had about 40% uh, of the slaves came in through the Port of Charleston. Um, and so that gave a large rise to the African-American community in the United States. So we want to understand what, um, at what point did your, or how did your family connect to the stroke belt? What diseases do you all have? Um, was this due to cultural experiences, environmental experiences? 
or the way that you all made it. So that's one of the main goals of this project. Well, the hard thing's not really surprising because our people can cook. And if people can cook, people can eat. And our people can eat. <laughs> especially, especially the family members coming out of South Carolina. Yeah. So, so absolutely. Um, um, oh, go ahead, Dr. Jackson. Oh, no. I just wanted to make sure that everyone understood that that Jennifer is one of our top students and she has identified um, uh, susceptibility genes for cardiovascular disease. And so our hope is that we can look for those and other genes in the Edgefield population and then begin to give some feedback on disease susceptibility. And this is really revolutionary what Jennifer is able to do. Uh, and it has a, way, has a potential to change the whole public health profile. Because if we can identify the, the true susceptibility genes in the population, then uh, Jennifer is going to be able to propose an intervention program that will allow young people to be tested before they develop the disease so that they can start initiating interventions like changing their diet, changing their activity pattern, and all those kinds of things. And it's, the, it's gonna be the Caldwell approach. <laughs> Look at you with that black girl magic, girl. Do that thing. Do that thing. <laughs> but, but to, to her point, um, this, is, this project is modeled after Dr. Jackson's method of ethnogenetic layering, in which we um, have a more sensitive and nuanced approach to understanding um, the genome of a person. And again, um, I guess we want to think about living in the precision medicine era. African, the people in African diaspora really aren't being um, targeted in terms of DNA um, tests and clinical trials and things like that. And we have our reasons why we don't want to participate in science and in research. And so what I hope to do with this project is aim to be at the forefront of reaching the people where they are, making them comfortable, educating them about, you know, their ancestry and health, things like that as well as allowing them to be a part of precision medicine, because this will ultimately help to guide the way that they are prescribed medicine. Um, if they want to turn back to using herbs um, for healing instead of, like I said, instead of um, pharma drugs, then this will be a good approach to understanding what they need because it's sensitive to this community. Now, we have had a couple of questions about why this um, project is so focused in its um is so narrow, not so narrow in its focus. And it may seem like it's narrow because we're just looking at a specific part of one state, but in and of itself, it is a fairly large project that we're doing. Um, I, for one, I'm very appreciative of the fact that it is very focused because as I've previously um, shared with Dr. Jackson and with Jennifer, um, I'm thinking about this as phase one of two larger projects that I personally would like to do. One would be rolling these results back into North Carolina because we know a lot of our South Carolina ancestors came into South Carolina from North Carolina. Mm -hmm. And we already know that we can already see a lot of those family lines connecting back into North Carolina. Then that's kind of phase two. Phase three would be a much larger project focused solely on Virginia and Maryland. Um, particularly northern neck part of Virginia, the tidewater part of Virginia, Powhatan and Henrico, basically the oldest settled parts of colonial Virginia. Because we already know that a lot of our, especially our, our white lines, but a lot of our enslaved lines 
go right back into the right back into those regions. And as the project becomes, you know, ho hopefully we'll be able to work out a way to easily scale the project up from phase one to phase two, then phase three. So we're not always reinventing the wheel. So that's kind of the bigger picture. So like I said, in the meantime, having a very kind of very, a very narrow focus um, is actually helping us. It's helping the project. And I'm sure, you know, we are going to learn, learn a lot from it. Um, I just wanted to hand back to you quickly, Dania, as I'm kind of going through the um, going through the, the shout outs. Okay. So um, what we want this, let me, let me tell you guys why this is done. We're doing this group, this like this, because we want people to understand the Sheila Hightower um, project as a whole. And as it's joined with Howard University, it is not Howard University that started the project and now we're doing it because we've had so many different things. It's the two of us together and we've decided to work together to get this done. With that being said, today's the day that you have both sides together where you can ask questions. So I want you guys to get your questions together. Let us know what it is that you want to know about this project. Let's get all these answers out so that that way, when you get the answers and you ask the questions, everything will be out in the open. Where you send your DNA to. I mean, any question that you have, what is it that Dr. Jackson and, 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 and Jennifer are going to do? What, you know, whatever question that you have, we want you guys to ask it. We're here. Brian and I both are monitoring these comments. And let me just say, y'all are on fire. <laughs> <laughs> so I've got an excellent question from Bonnie. She has an ancestor coming from Northern Ireland into Edgefield about 1805. Yes, Bonnie, absolutely. Would love to have you participate. Basically, the cutoff date for this project is you should have an ancestor in that part of South Carolina, again, from Lee and Spartanburg all the way down to northern Georgia up to about 1940. And the reason why 1940 is a cutoff date is that was the second big migration out of South Carolina into the rest of America, mostly the north, but into the rest of America. So that's kind of our cutoff point. So if you think from kind of day one of the Carolina territory up to 1940, that's the window of time that we're, that we're gonna be looking at. Uh, the other thing that I wanted to kind of go over is if you don't, you know, if you have a question, but you don't wanna share it here, please, please send the email to either Donnie or myself. We share an email address. And if I, do I have the email address correct, correctly? DNA Memorial Fund at, yes. at gmail.com. So that's DNA Memorial Fund. That's all one word, no spaces, no underscores at gmail.com. So okay. we're kind of handling the, the kind of questions general admin, um, those kind of moving parts. And if Dr. Jackson and Jennifer would like to talk about the real science bit, you know, what you're gonna be actually doing, you know, how you're gonna be working with the DNA results that you have. And I, just to preempt any questions, the kind of privacy and kind of security uh, framework that you have around your part of the project. Right. Yeah. Um, so let me, Dr. Jackson, I'm going to ask his one question from Etoli Forbes. 
They said, my parents were from Edgefield. How can I get more involved? We can answer that question. You can get involved by, again, sending your raw data to the um, DNA project or that email address that Brian just um, put out. And they have a separate question for you, you guys, where it says there was a lot of cancer in the family and wonder if it was from their consumption of that red clay or other factors. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a, so these are, are two very interesting components. So let's dr- address the first one. And that is the, the collection of sample and what are we going to be doing with your sample? So what we're going to be doing is creating a database. So this uh, isn't just a hit or miss kind of event. We are trying to categorize and have a solid reference database that all African-Americans and all peoples of the diaspora can be, their results can be compared to. Now that is called the 1000 African Diaspora Genome Project. And it's a huge project. We've started it at Howard University, um, but we are working in collaboration with Helix, which is a company that, that does sequencing automated sequencing of the whole exome. Those are the genes that actually produce proteins. Some of the genes in your body um, don't seem to do very much of anything. They don't produce any proteins, but the exomes are the ones that are actively involved in producing proteins. Now, we're interested in that. We're also interested in the epigenome, and I'm hoping that, that this is something that Jennifer will be able to look into if not for her dissertation, then for her postdoc after she finishes her her PhD. And that's looking at the chemical markers in conjunction with particular parts of the genome. And those chemical markers can influence what protein is actually produced. So that's gonna be important because with the Edgefield project, that's a subset of the 1000 African Diaspora Genome Project but with the Edgefield project, we'll have a lot of environmental data and we'll know the mating patterns of people. So we should be able to study the people of Edgefield and the people connected with Edgefield in a much more in-depth way and much more interdisciplinary way than any of the other samples where we just have individuals. They are not necessarily connected to a community or to a regional area. So uh, that's the, the larger picture. As I said, we are working with, in conjunction with Helix, and that's gonna speed up the sequencing of the samples and will allow us to, to do these in-depth studies that are needed to really get at the precision medicine, which is the end game. Because for precision medicine, you need to understand gene-gene interactions as well as gene-environment interactions. Okay. so. Uh, the specific work to be done in Edgeville, I'm going to turn this over to Jennifer to elaborate on what her hopes and dreams are for this project and realizing that this is just the beginning, that we're <laughs> just getting started, you know, and that the aim is to continue working together. And this will go on, you know, long after I've retired from Howard, there'll still be this database There'll be research, ongoing research from the database. And in a sense, your samples that you contribute will be more than just 
available for your own personal interpretations. They'll also be part of this larger database that will allow us to tell our story as a people and as a nation. Jennifer, do you want to talk about the Edgefield Project specifically? Yeah. So, um, and question more about cancer. Uh, this project is kind of setting the foundation for questions like that to be answered because it in involves the environmental component and then you get a phenotype or a disease um, that may have some implications from being close to red clay, if that makes sense. So mm -hmm. that's why um, that's kind of the foundation of, foundation of this project. Um, specifically for the edge field portion, I've read the book by Tanya. The comes to light book. Here it is. Have y'all seen it? So this is really important because um, in ethnogenetic layering, we're going to look at historically relevant data, culturally relevant data, um, geospatial analysis, which means we'll be looking at where people lived um, and how does that relate to disease susceptibility. Um, in addition to that, I plan on coming to a few of your family's gatherings to take DNA there do some interviews and establish more um, historical and cultural um, relevancy to what we see on the gene side. So that's basically how this project it will encompass both parts of a human, which is their genetic makeup and biology, as well as how they live their life and their culture and what environment they were allowed to grow in. Um, because I think that gets overlooked a lot in science. It's usually all culture or all genetics. Um, and people like to merge the two to understand what's really going on. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. Okay, um, so we have a couple of really good questions. Yeah. Um, Deborah Cross has asked a, a pretty good generic question that's hopefully gonna solve this for a couple of people. If you've tested on any of the main commercial DNA testing sites like 23andMe, Ancestry, Family Tree DNA, all you need to do is download your raw DNA file and email that to DNA memorialfund at gmail.com. It really is as simple as that. There was um, someone asked a question, well, how can my, my kind of um, enslaving ancestors DNA help you? Again, this isn't just about finding the ancestors of African-Americans. This is finding, helping to, part of what, we, what we're looking to do is called chromosome painting, where when you start gathering enough data, you can, start seg you can start identifying segments on a chromosome as being part of a family. Like I said, I had a, a team of um, geneticists doing this for me back, back in London. It's how I was able to identify my white Holloway ancestor. What I'm personally hoping is that it doesn't have to take two years like that, <laughs> like that one did. Um, to, so basically, you know, anyone looking at, I don't know, segment A to B on chromosome 13, you know that that's Holloway. If you match someone on that that part of a chromosome, you know that it's a Holloway match. That that's the an ideal thing. Another thing is this kind of a project is going to knock down, hopefully, will knock down brick walls for everyone. And the classic example I give is Governor James Shepard uh, of South Carolina. As famous as that man was, we know who his parents were. We have no no one has any idea who his paternal grandparents are. We know that they came from Virginia because he came from Virginia, but that's it. No one else knows anything about him. So it, again, it's the kind of project where everyone stands 
who everyone with roots in that part of South Carolina stands to gain something fr from it. The more people that participate means the more data that Dr. Jackson and Jennifer have to work with to be able to start to answer those kinds of questions. Donia, there was a question about DNA kits and how people can get them. So I'm going to hand that one over to you. Okay. Um, the way you get your DNA right now, we are in the process of working with Howard, with Dr. Jackson and, and um, Jennifer to actually uh, get a grant that will help us with the purchasing of kits. So although we are sitting on a certain amount of money right now, we want to try to get as much we want to add that money to whatever grant that we get so we can purchase all of the kits together. So basically what you're going to do is you're going to go to um, we have a, a form and the form is on the Sheila Hightower Allen DNA Memorial page and it's called the Sheila Hightower Allen DNA Memorial form and that form you will fill it out online and once you fill it out it'll come to our uh our email address so that we can have it to the side so that um, if we're able to get the once we're able to get start purchasing the test, we'll purchase them and we'll send them off. That way people can take the test and send them back. But there are restrictions. You still have to allow for us to have control of that DNA. And some people don't want us to do that. And if you say no on that, you're not going to get a kit. I mean, that's just, that's going to be kind of understand un, just the overall understanding because we have to be able to have control over it you will be able to have control as well you will be able to get all results you'll be able to look at it you'll be able to do all of those things but we have to have the overall control so that Howard can do what it is um that they want that they have to do there were some other questions. Good God, you guys are coming in. Thank you so much. This is so awesome. Well, Elizabeth, Elizabeth Wiseman has an excellent question as well. She's asking about what the project deliverables are going to be. We're still working with working out what some of those are going to be, but one will be the Genealogy Adventures um, family tree. It's a publicly available tree on Ancestry. Um, I'm trying to work out a deal with um, MyHeritage to be able to host this tree on their site for a much reduced fee because, well, just because. Um, so that'll be one deliverable. Um, we'll be sharing information in the Genealogy Adventures blog um, as, we're, as we get updates. I'm sure there will be conference presentations and that sort of thing. Dr. Jackson, um, also, Jennifer, any kind of deliver deliverables that you guys are thinking about from your end? Um, well, I, let me just um, explain that that um, we're asking you to share your DNA results with us so that we can analyze them more than the commercial uh, entities that you're doing business with to, to sequence your DNA. We're doing more of an analysis than they're capable of doing. And the, the reason for that is that we have specific questions that are geared to the population in Edgefield. So um, once we have access to your raw genetic data, then we can do something called computational biology. And we have a team of, of bioinformaticians and computational biologists, all of them with PhDs, and they will analyze these large quantities of data 
and then we'll begin to tell a more comprehensive story about the people of Edgefield, as well as about your own DNA results. And it's more than what you would get from 23andMe or Ancestry.com or any of the, the um, companies because they have a different mandate. Our mandate is pr to produce, our reason for existence is to produce a database that is gonna be broadly applicable to peoples of African descent. Now you can't tell the story about African-Americans without telling the story of European Americans and Native Americans, because we have been together for 400 years on this continent. So telling that the collective stories of our people is a new approach. And we think that it's going to yield some really valuable insights. It will change science. And so that's what we're offering you to be a part of, a chance to change science and change the assumptions of science. We have a great team of doctoral students, including Jennifer and Jennifer Caldwell. And uh, it's nice, Jennifer, to see some of your relatives are here online yeah. <laughs> asking questions and so forth, because we're a part of the database. We are, because we're Americans also. So we are we are redefining who who is an American, you know, and, and through the DNA, and I believe that this is going to be very powerful. But we're not taking anything from you. We are simply elaborating your results, and you have to give us access to those results so that we can study them, put them in the database. They'll we'll take your name off, so you'll have a number that's assigned to you. And the analysis will be based upon your specific ID number. And that will go into this large digitized database. We're getting computers, we're storing things in the cloud so that we can do the top analyses and begin to test various hypotheses about who we are, how best to live our lives, how to optimize our genotypes. These are all the things that we want to be able to do. In terms of deliverables, uh, there are deliverables at the population level, and then there are deliverables at the individual level. At the individual level, we'll have to issue regular reports to you on what we're doing, how we're doing it, where your sample is in, in the general pool of information. So we can make that available using the electronic media. That's not a problem. And we'll work out something with the, the uh, Sheila Hightower DNA Memorial Fund so that we have a good agreement on that. Um, we, we will also maintain the confidentiality of your data. As I indicated before, we're not interested in selling your DNA. We're not interested in loaning it out to other people. You know, I noticed that we have um, one of the review, one of the people here from uh, Denmark, Copenhagen, Copenhagen, yeah. Denmark. And um, that's great because we have a, a, a collegial relationship, a collaboration with the University of Copenhagen, their Center for Geogenetics. But even with our collaboration, we don't give them our DNA samples. Wow. We That's only awesome. use the collaboration to send our students to the University of Copenhagen to learn the best techniques for the analysis of the data. When we finish the analysis of the data, we pack it back up, get on the plane and come home. 
So <laughs> we have we have protocols in place here to assure that your data isn't isn't flung out into space someplace or anything crazy like that. And I know that sounds crazy, but think about the HeLa cells. And HeLa cells from Henrietta Lacks are actually on the moon. Yeah. And, you know, so so we will not do anything with your samples that you do not agree to in advance. But our main purpose is to look at your sequences and then to identify the segments of your genome that increase your susceptibility to specific diseases. Uh, Jennifer is very interested in cardiovascular disease. We have another graduate student who's interested in obesity. You know, we'll slowly get all of the diseases that are disproportionately represented among peoples of African descent in this hemisphere. And we will find out what's the underlying genetics and what are the behaviors, what are the environmental factors that serve as triggers to those genetic conditions. You know, we want at the end of the day to have better health, longer lives and improve the, improve the quality of our lives. And that's what this is all about. So I've got an excellent question for you, Dr. Fatima. Um, sorry, Dr. Jackson. Um, I've got a quick, quick message to give someone. But the, the question for you is from Shannon Christmas. And he wants to know if people can actually opt out of seeing anything about their health report. Um, so oh, yes, yes, yes. If, um, again, if you decide that you don't want to receive the health, the reports on specific genes, I mean, that's, that means we just don't send it to you. That's fine. If you decide that you don't want to participate anymore, at some point, we can remove you from the reference database. I mean, we hope that people won't opt, in, opt for that. But if they do, if you have a change of heart, then you, you, can, you can opt out of whatever parts of our analyses that you don't feel comfortable with. Um, um, Excellent. And... Um there's a question from Alecha, and forgive me if I slaughtered your name, um, about, uh, I'm gonna say with regards to your ancestor, Pettis Stewart, my advice to you, the Pettis family is an old, old Virginia colonial family. They were here from day one. Um, my advice to you would be to look at the Pettis family in Jamestown and Henrico and Powhatan um, counties in Virginia. So that's a very solid lead for you. That's my family. I know that family inside and out. Haven't heard of your ancestor, um, but hopefully that, that gives you a good lead. And also there's a huge, enormous Stuart family. There's all kinds. They were free people of color. They were people who were enslaved. They're wrapped up with the Pettis family. So that's the place you need to look. In and around Jamestown in early colonial Virginia history, Henrico and Powhatan counties. Mm -hmm. um, Deborah Cross sent the, asked the question and one that we can answer. No, and I want to let everybody who has already sent their kits in, who has already sent their raw data into us, Howard does not have those yet. They do not have anybody's um, data as of yet because we still need to get the consent form out, which is one of the things that we will be working on. But once we get that consent form. You're going to get a copy of it, and that's where you must sign it in order for anybody's DNA to go to Howard. So Howard has not received anyone's DNA as of yet. That was um, a question from Deborah Cross about that. So you don't have to worry about it. Has 
does if Howard has access to your DNA. As of yet, no, they do not. No, they don't have access to anyone's DNA except for mine and Brian's. <laughs> and <laughs> they, they needed to see what they had to do. And that's we're right. good with that. Right. So um, you guys so, are like really yeah. pouring in the questions. I'm so, so proud. basically oh, to just quickly explain what Donia just said, Howard University's legal department is drafting the agreement that you guys will need to sign to give us and to give Howard permission to actually use your data. So, um, you know, we're, ve we're very conscious of that. Howard University being a research university, they have guide you know, guidance and guidelines and all kinds of things that they have to adhere to. Um, so that, that's really important. Um, I just... I just saw a question. The questions are coming in so fast. I'm actually losing the thread. Right here says, oh. "What if your family was from from there when there was were slave owners, but don't know of any offspring, and you're white? Do you want my DNA? Yes, we do want your DNA. More um, so yours, almost than it. <laughs> definitely. Yeah, we really want your <laughs> DNA because we <laughs> with the the goal that they're going to do. Because although they're going to be doing all of this, you know, work as far as finding out different diseases and everything, they're going to help us build our tree. They're going to build our tree on a DNA basis. And, and that's what this is about. So yes, anybody, whether you're black, white, Native American or other, if your family came from Edgefield, South Carolina between 1769 or actually dating back before that, like Brian said, to the Cal Carol as when it was the Carolinas in 1729 to 19 to about 1940. We want your DNA. It does not matter whose DNA it is. This is not just for African Americans, but this is a way to tell the true story of history. You know, right now it's not out there like that. This is not, I'm not saying that the history that's put out in the books right now is a lot. It just it's not all of it. It's missing some pieces. And, and because it's missing pieces, Edgefield is a perfect spot to fill it in. And that's what they're trying to do. That's what we're trying to do as a whole. So if we find out that we're family, which I pretty much believe if you family come from there anyway that we are, it's just somewhere down the line. None, nonetheless, we're family. And that's what this is about. So they're definitely going to build that out. So there's also a question, Brian, do you know about the Bean, Mosley, and Adams family lineage? Bean is the only name on that list that I don't know. Right. Mosley, I've got Mosleys and Adams all over the place between oh, no. South Carolina, North Carolina, and Virginia. I haven't looked at them too much in Edgefield or the old 96 because the Adams are confusing as heck, and there are a lot of them. And Donnie and I, we haven't really, we know that we have a few Mosleys, but we haven't really... For whatever reason, we just haven't had the time to dig into them. We haven't had the time to dig into them. That's that's the only thing. We we just haven't had the time to dig into them. Um, Harold asks, how soon GDPR? What is that? Yep. Can you elaborate elaborate yeah. on what GDPR? <laughs> yeah. And then so while Harold is elaborating on that, um, Elizabeth asks, should I send my raw data from all companies where I test it? Yes. 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 Okay. Yes, because yes, different companies have different thresholds. They have different data sets. They'll identify you in different ways. They look, you know, they process things slightly differently. So if you have more than one, that's actually really good. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. And 
going back to what Donya was saying earlier, why this is so important is because the American cadre was this area. You know, the nucleus of how everything started was in the South Carolina 96 district, Charleston area, and along the East Coast. So mm -hmm. we want to understand exactly what was going on at that time between people, how are they living their lives? Again, a lot of times in genetics and in DNA and genealogy, um, African-Americans assume that they are, you know, highly Native American or they have an ancestor that was Cherokee. And we want to understand, is that really true? Or were there white and black mixing more? Or were there isolated groups that, of African-Americans, which we call uh, micro-ethnic groups like the Gullah Geechee? So we want to help um, dispel myths and help paint a clearer picture of what was going on at that time and how, um, how their lifestyles, again, led to certain diseases or you know, certain, certain prosperities. Actually, Jennifer, if you don't mind, can you email either Donia or myself Howard University's research department's kind of guidance and guidelines on how you deal with sensitive information? That's what Howard. That's basically what a Howard Locke was asking about the GDPR. That's that new Europe, uh, European Eurozone kind of a uh, policy and law um, that's come into come into play about data security and data breaches and all that kind of stuff. So I don't know if Howard University already has like a document that kind of spells out how the research department deals with with private personal information. We do. Yeah, we have that. And and Jennifer, that would be uh, the Office of the General Counsel. So we can get on that next week and, cool. and okay. get something issued that we can share with everyone. Cool. And that's something so, that I can post on Genealogy Adventures, both the website and the Facebook page. Yes, indeed. All right. So we have another question. So Miss Hardy, because I don't want to mess up your first name. Um, you sent me a message earlier, but because I was getting ready for this, I wasn't able to respond, but I was going to respond to you. I want to let you know that. But she asked the question, does anyone know anything about the Harrison family from Orangeburg, South Carolina? She <laughs> <laughs> I have a relative that had a father that was Haitian, couldn't speak English when he came, and they had family deep in South Carolina, too. Let me tell you why we're laughing. Because the Harrison line is so intertwined with my Yaledale family and my senior family that it is ridiculous. So um, you and I are going to have to talk outside of this. <laughs> Because this particular line is a huge line in Edgefield that connects in so many different ways to the point that some of those who are Harrisons, are, who are thought to be Harrisons, are not actually Harrisons. They're a whole nother family. So, yeah, you and I, I will definitely send you a message to let you know, you know, so we can talk and, and, and get to know each other because you sound like you already a cousin. I wonder if I can tell you all a little bit more about the larger project, the Thousand African Diaspora Genomes Project, because I'll be giving a talk on Tuesday at NIH about that project. And I'll mention that we have this collaboration with Edgefield and hope to bring in the, the data from Edgefield, the the, from the Edgefield, Edgefield population. Um, but this 1,000 1, um, African Diaspora Genome Project is really for the entire Western Hemisphere. We're starting off in the United States. 
because that's home and it's easiest to do it here. But we expect, expect to expand out to Central America, to South America, to the Caribbean. And we really, you know, uh, hope to get a, a robust picture of um, the diversity of African descended peoples. And just as in the United States, you know, you can't tell the story of African diaspora in Haiti or in Jamaica without looking at non-African peoples in those same regions. So um, in a sense, Edgefield is providing a prototype for how we will conduct the larger project in the rest of the Americas. And then once we kind of finish and get a good handle on the Afro-Ecuadorians and Afro-Peruvians and Afro-Venezuelans, you know, and add that into the database, then we'll go to Africa and do a 10,000 African, African genome project, getting 10,000 genomes from Africa. And that will allow us to know where in Africa people in the Americas may have come from, their African lineages. And then finally, we're hoping to do another thousand genome project on the migration of African people to the east, across the Red Sea, into Arabia, into India, and all the way to China. Because as my grandmother used to say, Sam is everywhere. <laughs> we intend to, to track Sam. <laughs> so um, there's, well, been some, there's been some more... Uh, questions and I think he was getting ready to talk about Shannon's question about the You know me so well. You just we we just Donnie and I worked have we've worked for so long together that we can almost read each other's minds. Hey, we're minds. here. We're here. <laughs> um I'm gonna flip Shannon's comment about basically Shannon uh, left a message saying that a lot of people in this region have majority African DNA, very little European. I'm going to argue that and say, I, I think we're a very mixed population across yes. the board. One, but you did remind me about something, Shannon, so thank you for that. A lot of us, for whatever reason, have trace elements of Scandinavia, at least Donnie and the people who match Donnie and I, and there's a lot of them, we're like, do you know where you get the Scandinavian from? They're like, no. Do you know you no get it idea. from? You're like, no. We and that's including even our European descended cousins yep. from Edgefield. They yep. don't know where they get the Scandinavian from. That's we from hope that this project is going to answer that question. That's likely from the the uh, British Isles, because oh. because the Scand because Scandinavians in the form of the Vikings uh, were were major colonialists. Um, in the, the uh, 14th and 15th centuries in uh, the British Isles. And they left a very strong mm. Scandinavian signal. For example, the Y chromosome, the IY chromosome is very common in Scandinavia today, in Norway, in Finland, and also in, in Northern Germany. And so you say, well, you know, but also in Scotland. And that's because scanned, uh, um, uh, that's because uh, Viking warriors and also women came and settled those areas, um, uh, disrupted the indigenous societies. And uh, so the people who are in uh, the British Isles now are largely the product of those early admixture events in Europe. So just as just as many, 
people of African descent in the Americas have Scandinavian admixture, even though they don't have any consciousness of a Scandinavian ancestor, it has to do with historical events that happened in Europe prior to Africans being brought to the Americas, okay? Just as we have also Neanderthal admixture. That's something that happened even farther back in time among non-African peoples. And that's how the Neanderthal gets into us as African descended peoples. But you're right, we are, we are a, a mixture of African peoples with modest gene flow from non-Africans. So you would expect to find all kinds of um, variability in African-Americans. And in fact, I think it's that variability that contributes to our greatness. Right. So Dr. Jackson, it's a question from my, one of my favorite cousins, Kevin Christopher Thomas. He's a big supporter of the um, page. And he says in the Edgefield study, will there be any study to connect to, for, to study to connections in Africa? Yes, we certainly hope so. We certainly hope so. But the Edgefield study has to be connected to the other, other parts of the study, including the 10,000 genome study in Africa in order to get a, a, a good feeling, a good handle on uh, where our genetic diversity in Africa may have its origins. I mean, we know that most of the Africans came from where? Uh -oh. I think we might've lost. From, you know, from oh. Mozambique, for example. So uh, it's, your slavery was opportunistic. Um, they were grabbing people, uh, 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 you know, wherever they could, and and remember that this was a time of warfare in Africa. So you get a lot of movement of peoples. So reconstructing African history at the time is going to take some doing, but we fully intend to do that because otherwise the story will not be will not be fully told. Well, I'm glad that you said that because, and I've shared this with Donning in the past. I've been attacked on my, basically on, on my, my website and on Twitter because I shared my DNA results. I used a different company, uh, it's called GeneBase, and the, the results are very, very thorough. Um, they give a really good breakdown. And my African, my African ancestry is north, south, east, and west. It is literally from four corners of Africa. Yeah. And I was getting attacked people focused on the North African bit. There is no way you could have North African, blah, 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 blah. But of course But, the, but, but yeah. the interesting thing is since then, since I actually posted that, I have seen a lot of African-Americans who are showing varying levels of North African and East African DNA. Yeah. Case in point, my niece's results have just come in on Ancestry. She has more North African and her father's 100% Native, Native American. So whatever African she got, she got from her mother, my sister. Mm -hmm. She has more North African than my sister and I combined. Wow. So that, you know, that's just, that's just a case in point on that one. So yeah. I'm all about education rather than putting a lot of presupposition on it. And I guess the analogy that I used uh, to kind of build on what Dr. Jackson said, people get so hung up on the fact of where Africans debarked from Africa. We all know that, you know, when they came to the, the Americas, North America and South America and Central, they were being shipped out from the West. That doesn't mean that everyone that was on those ships were born 
in right. Western Africa. That's, right. um, that's just the analogy that I use is think about the Mississippi River that goes all the way from the northern states all the way down to Louisiana, right. to New Orleans, and that huge port that's in New Orleans. Not everything that gets shipped out of New Orleans was made, in, made or manufactured in Louisiana. Correct. It could have come from anywhere in the states. It just went down the river and got shipped out from, from Louisiana. So I right. think we need to be just kind of conscious of just because the vast majority of people who left Africa, I'm sorry, I forgot about the Caribbean as well, to this part of the world, left from one place, not where they originated. No. There was also a really good question. If you have Y-DNA results and if you have MT-DNA, mitochondrial DNA results, please send those in too. We're looking yes. at everything. Yeah. Yes. Um, there's a question by Tyrone, and I think Jennifer might be good to answer this one. Um, it says heart disease, congestive age, heart, heart failure, uh, thyroid, and this thing called the Viking disease. This runs in my family, Ruffin, Sheffield, Johnson, Richardson, and Jackson, and Powell. I think he wants to know will you guys be looking at that? Okay, that's a great question. So kind of back to what Brian's point and Sonia, you and Dr. Jackson and I had this conversation um, the other day that um, people of the African diaspora are not heavily um, into getting their DNA analyzed. They're not really participating um, in these corporations at the rate that European uh, descendants are. So some of the results that we are getting um, are kind of skewed based on lack of um, subjects in a, in a way. So we need more African descendants, um, more people of the diaspora to participate so that we can get more sensitive and answer more questions about origin, migration patterns, and eventually um, disease um, and, and heredity. So um, back to his question about his family diseases, I'm not looking at thyroid uh, disease right now, per se, but I do have some undergraduate students, and they are helping to come up with the genes that we'll be looking at as well. Um, so some of them are looking at cancers, um, sickle cell, um, which we already know the gene for that, but um, and autoimmune diseases, and to get a better understanding. But from to kind of create this kind of layer or cake of what's going on, we want to look at these candidate genes that we're establishing first. Um, and we want these genes to be causative for heart disease or a congenital anomaly or hypertension specifically. And then what we want to do is move from the DNA to the epigenome. That's what Dr. Jackson mentioned earlier. So we want to look at the DNA that they used to call junk. And it's really regulatory sequences. And so those, um, those DNA uh, sequences come from... Uh, the epigenome, they come, they, they, they get turned on and off basically throughout your life. Um, and they get turned on and off based on how you live your life, your experiences, the environment, maybe being introduced to red clay um, or what we see in like smoking and things like that, how they turn genes on and off. Or when you experience trauma and you're not really able to bear a child because you're stressed out, things like that. Um, diseases like that will come in time. But right now we want to establish um, just clear lines, clear genes that have a causative effect. Oh. So I have an excellent question from Latika Lee, and I have to ask this because, bless her, she contacted me earlier this week, and I told her, watch the show, and I will definitely, if you ask the question, I will definitely ask it. So this is either for Dr. Jackson or for Fatima, sorry, uh, for Jennifer. 
next weekend, I will be traveling to an archaeology day trip in, and I'm going to slaughter this name, Asaba Island, which is just outside of Savannah, Georgia, filling gaps in the Gullah Geechee history. She's looking at family names like Haynes and Mitchell. Uh, she's also looking at Gaines Johnson family history. Do you have any tips? Also, what Gullah projects are you working on? Okay, so yeah, so uh, another colleague of mine, lab mate, Asohe Irabor, and I have been traveling to South Carolina, specifically the Charleston area, um, and we have been establishing relationships with people on different levels within the community um, to help understand their current environment, um, the gentrification that they're going through, their ancestry, the culture of Charleston, how much has changed. Um, and so just for example, in the literature, it'll tell you that Charleston used to have three to one African, uh, Africans, direct Africans or African descendants to everyone uh, European. And just being down in the Charleston area, we've noticed that when you go downtown, it's strictly about um, vacationing and you don't really get to see the Gullah Geechee culture. And that's one of our concerns is how does the Gullah Geechee culture impact the real Charleston? Um, because they made Charleston what it is. They helped to build the city up. They raised kids in that area um, for slave owners. And now they're, they, they have to hide in the shadows of the islands. And then they're actually being pushed off the islands as well. Mm -hmm. So we want to understand all of those aspects and how those things um, are related to their health. And I want to know, where is she going uh, to a, a burial site? I didn't hear that. Part. Where is she going in Charleston? Uh, she actually is Asaba Island, which is okay. just outside of uh, Savannah, Georgia. But I guess the question as well is, I guess if you're if you come from a predominantly Gullah Geechee Gucci background, um, or you're interested in finding out more about your ancestry, that's Gullah and Gucci. Is there are there any kind of books that you can read beforehand? I mean, how can she? Oh yeah, what can, sure. what can she do to to formulate really good questions when she goes down there? Well, for one, she could definitely email me. I will be happy to talk with her and give her some good insight on what I know thus far. Um, one of our, um, I would say, I guess, collaborations is with the Avery Research Center. The Avery Research Center is a powerhouse for Gullah Geechee culture and information, headed by Dr. Patricia Lassane. Um, and uh, if she goes to their website at the College of Charleston, she can Google certain things there. Um, I can give her their contact information directly. And, um, yeah, she can ask them whatever she likes. They may have answers to some of those questions. Other books would be by um, targets. I just lost it. Oh, Queen Quet. Queen Quet um, from the Sea Island, uh, Gullah Geechee Sea Island Coalition. She also has books about Evo landing and things like that. If you go to her website, specifically Queen Quet, um, she will, she'll have talks and a ton of material on being Gullah Geechee, how important the language is, their food. Um, even they even have a food called red rice that if you look at it, it's very similar to jollof rice. So there's the African connection there. Mm -hmm. um, and then a book by Dr. Lorenzo Dow Turner. Um, he was a professor at Howard University, an anthropologist, and he was the first to establish the actual language of the Gullah Geechee and how that language um, is not gibberish. It's not slave talk. It is actual amalgamation of um, African language and dialects. So I think those would be some good starts for her. 
Uh, there's a question about, there's um, a viewer who knows that her mother's family definitely has roots in Edgefield, but I think, I think I've got that the right way around, but she's not sure about her father's side of the family. I would ask if you can just do a little bit of work on your father's side of the family to make sure that he does have roots in that part of South Carolina. Um, I would probably advise that if he doesn't, not to send his results. Um, we really do want to focus on people that we know for a fact actually have roots in that area. Um, Donnie, there's was there? Another, yeah, there's another question that I'm looking at. And um, it says, I've read that Native American, this was another question by Tolly Forbes. I've read that Native American DNA washes out genetically and can show as Asian on genetic tests. Can you touch on this? And will you seek a larger pool of Native Americans? Mm -hmm. So yes, we will seek a larger pool of Native Americans. It does not wash out. The, 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 what, what's happening is that we don't have an adequate reference base of Native American sequences. The sequences that we have come from Southwestern America. They're from the Diné people, the Hopi people, and other indigenous groups of the Southwest. The groups that we need to have in the reference base are the Southeastern groups like the Cherokee and the Choctaw and Lumbee and so forth. So many of those groups are not represented because of the genocide that was perpetrated against the Native Americans. Now, when you perpetrate genocide, unless you automatically kill everybody, the genes will persist, but they'll persist in people who are no longer identified as members of that ethnic group. Because the ethnic groups and the Genetic groups are two different things. So what we are hoping to do is to get a larger pool of appropriate Native American groups, appropriate for the Carolinas, appropriate. And you know where we may have to go to get some of these Native American groups is to the Caribbean, because in the early days of, of, of the Americas, of the United States, uh, Carolinian Native American peoples were enslaved and sent to the Caribbean. So, so that's where some, so it's, you know, understanding the history tells you where to go and sample. And which is why it's so important to have this, have the Edgefield information because it's a, it's a contained community and we can really piece, the assumption is that we're gonna be able to piece things together much more succinctly, much more profoundly than any place else in the United States. So yes, the, the problem has been that, that we have not had good markers for the relevant Native American groups, that is the East Coast Native American groups. Um, but there's something that to be said about uh, Native American ancestry. Almost all of our families have, have, have very deep stories of, of Native <laughs> American ancestry. And I've, I've thought about this quite a bit. And I think that um, many things were going on at the time, but uh, a, a colleague from North Carolina um, explained it to me in a very good way. She said, because of the trauma of enslavement and the rape of African women and the production often unwanted sexual, as a result of unwanted sexual advances, by European and European American males on 
African-American females. The, the, the Native American ancestry was like a blanket that we pulled over ourselves to protect our nakedness. And it was a convenient uh, explanation for the child that didn't look fully African. Mm. And so we could say, yes, that, you know, that, that child's got that hair, that, that's a Cherokee boy right there. He's got that Cherokee hair. When in fact, he was a product of the rape of an African-American woman by a European-American male. Wow. Now, what genetics has done is pulled the blanket off. Yeah. And it's forced us to mature and to confront our history and to realize that, yes, we had interactions with Native Americans. Some were positive and some were negative. Some Native American communities enslaved us and kept us longer in slavery than the Europeans did. This is reality. There was gene flow between Africans and Native Americans. Was it to the degree that most African-Americans have in their family lore? Probably not. But was it there? Yes. But we have to have the right Native American groups to study because we know that there were a number of migrations from Central Asia across the Bering Strait and down into the Americas. The people who are Native American who live in the southwestern part of the United States do not necessarily represent genetically and certainly not culturally the Native Americans that our ancestors would have encountered in South, South in the Carolinas, in Virginia, in Georgia, all the way up into New York and so forth. So um, this has to be studied systematically and from our, the perspective of integrating our family histories as well as the genetic information. Because when we say that, oh yeah, we're, we're part Choctaw, what, what does, when our grandmothers told us that, what did that mean? Did that mean that we were genetically part Choctaw or that we were culturally part Choctaw or we had hung out and walked with the Choctaw to, to Oklahoma, you know, in the Trail of Tears? So we, we need to be more systematic. Genetics is not going to be the end all of our identities. It's only a piece of the information. And that we put that piece together with the history, with, with the folklore, with, with all with lots of other kinds of information in order to have a cohesive picture of who we are and where we're going. Right. And, and to piggyback on that, so you all understand exactly how good of a PI Dr. Jackson is and how hard her lab uh, works. Again, the Sohei's a portion of her project is to study the lumbi, the brass ankles um, in the South Carolina area. And what we're finding out from interviews and you know other literature that we're reading is these people are only half um i guess you'd say recognized as indians by them and by the government right. you know and it's, the question is why aren't they fully recognized and part of it is because they have too many african uh mm -hmm. in the group mm -hmm. because they meet a lot of the other criteria to be recognized as native americans so that's why these projects are very important to understanding what culturally and genetically, um, what, how they work together and how you're raised and um, how those things, just how they work and how the systems work to, in some ways, oppress us and keep us separate and to not recognize us at every level that we are American. 
yeah. you know, whether black and, and, and Indian groups, Native American groups, excuse me, whether they um, are together or not, whether they walk together, as Dr. Jackson said, whether they, you know, made it together or just were in fight and in unison to not be oppressed. We need to understand that more, more in depth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And something else that I hope that this project may interact with this project, but will probably definitely interact with stages two and three. There were a population of Africans who were here a century or more before the English ever rocked up in the Eastern shore. They came up here with Spanish conquistadors and uh, Latin Americans. So there was a group of about 200 men. They were all conquistadors and they're, they're enslaved people and uh, free people, you know, and their servants as well. Uh, so you had Spanish, you had Mesoamericans, you had African American, you had Africans as well. You had a mixture of all three. They hit Florida first, made their way up to Georgia, then South Carolina, and seemingly disappeared into Tennessee and Virginia. Because the interesting thing about it is, the Powhatan Indian tribe, the Powhatan Confederacy, actually talked a lot about this group of men. They actually spoke about this group of men to the second settlers of um of Virginia. so they're out there too. Now, whether or not they actually became part of a native, you know, the Powhatan Confederacy, whether they became part of the Shawnee, no one really knows what happened to them. But it would be interesting if that kind of, if people start showing kind of a mixture of uh, Mesoamerican, kind of um, Native American, but more from Mexico and Central America in their DNA results. Because again, that's a mystery. It's a story. It's a history and a story that hasn't really been told that often. If you Google about it, there's plenty of excellent books that, you know, that, that discussed this kind of aspect of our history. Um, there was another question, and then we're going to have to start to wrap this up shortly. We wanted to make this a, a little hour and a half, but we know you guys have so much, um, so many questions that you wanted to ask, and I hope we got to most of them, but I did want to get to this one question that uh, Shannon Christmas and then it's actually two questions that I wanted to get to, but before I get to those questions, I want to do a broad, um, just a broad thing to recognize some of these things that's been said. So Rebecca Joyce called me out, which is one of our cousins. Yes, she asked about whether or not this pro- project will show if we're family. Yes, that's what this project is about. It's about showing that proven that all of us are related in one way or another through um, through Edgefield. It's definitely going to do that. Um, then we had some other people who mentioned other family names like uh, Harrison's, Mosley's, and Adams, and things of that nature. All of those names are families that connect to to Edgefield. Um, he totally asked the question about the Gordons. Yes, the Gordons connect directly to our Peterson line. Um, And then Oded, and I'm trying to find his question and now I can't find it. Oh my goodness, because it was such a great question. Oh, you know, the Gordons also also rock up with the Mackeys and um, the the Brunsons. And and, and the Cheatham's. And the Cheatham's. Um, Here it is, but Oded, it's two questions. One is from... um, Oded settles. He says, through the study, do you feel that it will reveal? No, I think we answered that question. 
No, that wasn't it. I thought it was another one. So I'm going to go straight to the one from Shannon. And his question was, I've observed that many old 96 district Savannah River Basin African-American descendants share significant amounts of IBD DNA, but even with extensive family trees, fail to find a recent common ancestor. Will this project seek to fill in the gaps? If so, how? What is I'm, not I'm not clear on what IBD is. I'm sorry. Yeah, I don't know what the IBD is, but I can say to you, Shannon, that it will fill. That's the 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 overall of what we want to do, which is fill in those gaps, knock down brick walls and things of that nature to help us really try to find out how we are all connected. Um, you'll have to elaborate. And when you elaborate, you may elaborate on here, but we'll get back to it. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it's, it's coming to 527. And Jennifer's hot. <laughs> well, quickly, um, Obed has said, will the study show what types of Africans were brought during different periods? That's the that, one. <laughs> that sounds like the 10,000 um, project 10, that you were talking about. African genomes, right? I mean, hopefully 10,000 will be enough to capture the huge diversity that's in Africa. I mean, that's what we're hoping. Um, and I'm, I'm hoping I'll live long enough to do to be a part of that. But if not, we're training people like Jennifer and others so that they can carry this forward because the we've got to know Africa. Africa is the homeland of humanity. It's all of our we are collectively all Africans. You know, the Europeans are Africans. The Asians are Africans. So we all come out of Africa. So understanding Africa is going to allow us to make uh, claims. And you know, it's, it's very important. I, I just found out that the, my mitochondrial DNA, we finally found where it's most commonly found and it's in, in East Africa among the Sukuma people. Well, I actually know those people because I used to live in East Africa, but I never knew that I had any relationship to them. And so that's the whole thing about identity. Once you get the genetic results, it should make us broader and more expansive people, make us want to go back and find those, those uh, related folks in Africa and contribute to their well-being. Um, and so that's another byproduct of identifying the African origins of our ancestry, is that we should feel a connection and, and not feel so isolated here in America, but actually see ourselves as part of a larger community of people who look something like us, you know? Uh, Shannon, that sounds like a uh, question you're gonna need to email us about because you have four people, two of whom are geneticists and we're, none of us know what I, none of us are immediately familiar familiar with the term IBD. So if well, you like he to says say, it's identity by descent. So oh. that's what it means, identity by descent. And, and I've answered the question, yes. Okay. Basically, yes. We're yeah, gonna, so that, um, that mitochondrial DNA that I mentioned, which was an L, L3 variant, is like 90% of the Wasukuma people in, in Tanzania, the women, have, the women and men have that variant. That makes a strong signal that it's, it's a segment of DNA to which it's ancestrally important, ancestrally informative. 
that can be tied to a particular set of clans that belong to the Wasukuma people. So, yeah, but we don't usually call that IBD DNA. We just call it identity by descent. Mm-hmm. Um, and we talk about segments of, of the genome rather than DNA per se. Well, thank you for clarifying that. Thank you so much. Yes. Thank you so much for clarifying that. <laughs> so it's just linguistics, that's all. Remember, yes. you know, we have different terminology because the field is so new. Even when you were talking to me about chromosome painting, and I said, chromosome painting? Wait a minute, I teach a course in evolutionary genetics. Why are they not doing chromosome painting? Then someone explained to me, oh, no, 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 this is what they're doing. I said, okay, now I understand. So, and, and the methods questions that came up, we're using next generation sequencing. We'll be using bioinformatics as a way of making sense of all of the data that's gonna be generated or all the data that, that you all send us. So, you know, those methods are established and standardized. And maybe what we'll do is we have a website uh, for the Cobb Research Lab, www cobresearchlab.com and we'll put up some information about the methods that we're using as well as some some general reports on where we're at with the thousand African diaspora genome project and showing a diagram with the edge fill project as a component of that if that's okay with you all well that sounds great sounds good to me okay um I do have one question and and um it has some and it just left my head. It's so much stuff that's just been going on. And you just made a, a comment about something and made me wanted to ask this question. And now it just went away. Oh, it'll come back. <laughs> yeah, but I knew that uh, this was something that everybody, you know, was really kind of was really kind of asking. And um Sierra Leone, thank you so much. That's one of the questions. So it's been a, a discussion, and Brian and I have actually talked about it, and it's been a discussion about um, where people from the Gullah Geechee, where, what area of Africa they possibly came from. And one of the things that was said was a lot of them were from Sierra Leone. Well, I know I have a whole bunch of Sierra Leone. I have about 8%. I'm not going to say a whole bunch, but I, I have about, um, it shows that it's 8% Sierra Leone as far as my family, for me personally. Um, and then I saw a little for my mom and, and other people. Does that connect to Gullah Geechee and how? Jennifer? Yeah, sure. So, um what we know from, from DNA analysis is that, again, keep in mind that the selection or, or the subjects of African of the African diaspora is still low. So we want more participants so that we can really truly understand where people are from. Not saying that the results that you received are wrong in any way, but understand that I, I think we've had reports of people getting some changes to their reports over time and things like that. And that is because we need more participants. So that's that's the first part. The second part is that um, during the slave trade, people were taken from ev- everywhere. Madagascar, uh, they were taken from St. Helena, uh, St. Helena Island in Africa, um, from the West Coast at the northern tip, um, Mali area, all the way down to Angola. So mm-hmm. Sierra Leone would have been a great pe- place as well for people to come to South Carolina 
Um, we call that area the Windward Coast. And it was because of their rice cultivating abilities. Um, mm -hmm. So that would be a reason why you would see a large amount of Sierra Leone, uh, Ivory Coast, Ghana, and things like that. Um, and again, more, more in-depth uh, cultures, or sorry, tribes like the Wolof, the Mende, um, the Mendinka, those tribes as well um, were highly uh, populated through the transatlantic slave trade. So you could see a lot of that in your results, but we want more participants so that we can clarify those answers for you. That's great. Thank you so much. We definitely needed to get that out. So um, again, guys, we're going to shut this down. I know you guys have a lot of questions, more questions, and we ask that you send them to the Sheila Hightower Allen Facebook page. And um, that way, you know, you'll be able to um, ask the questions and we can get them answered that way. And if you have direct questions, you can send them to, um, to the DNA Memorial fund at gmail.com. Yep. I just posted that. Huh? I just posted that. Yeah. And then there's these, this, this app is so cool. I just wanted to say that. And I'm, I'm loving, I'm so glad that we've decided to get with this. Um, it's just such an awesome app, but yeah, we, we're going to definitely make sure that you guys have, get all your questions answered. If we have not answered them, we're sorry that we missed them. You guys came, came and showed out today and I'm so <laughs> excited. We have over 186 comments. Jennifer, your family was supporting you. Yeah. Right. <laughs> they were there. I'm really excited about this whole project. Um, look out for pictures because once they start doing testing, I'm going to go to Howard. I'm going to take some pictures with the group. I'm going to, you know, so you know who they are. You guys are going to get to see everything. We're going to try to keep you as up to date as possible, as abreast as we can possibly do. Um, that way you guys will always know what's going on. This is not a hidden thing. This is out there for everybody. It is for those who have family who come out of Edgefield, South Carolina between 1729 and 1940. That's this portion of that project. If your family is anywhere from that area, the 96th District, Abbeville, Saluda, McCormick, Greenwood, Orangeburg, Spartanburg, because it was a lot of Orangeburg people up here. Mm -hmm. um, we want your DNA. We want to thank all of the people from Canada, from Denmark, from California, from Arkansas. I mean, you guys, you guys showed up and showed out today. So this was awesome. This was an awesome show. And What'd you really? say? I said my family doesn't miss much. You just have to invite them. <laughs> oh, about your family. Let me say this to the Caldwell family: you're related. You are. That's what I wanted to say. <laughs> I really believe you guys are related. Jennifer can explain it a little, a little more because we've already talked to her about it. But yeah, we think you guys are related, so you might want to participate too. So I would like to say a big thank you um, to Dr. Jackson and to yes. Jennifer Caldwell for joining us today. Thank you for giving up part of your Sunday to be with us. Thoroughly enjoyed having you. The comments that have been coming through about you guys are just brilliant. Thank you. 
Yes. Thank you so much. It's our honor to be here. Thank you. Yes, I've yes. been excited about this um, project for a very long time. I think that it was definitely heaven sent for me and for Dr. Jackson as well. This is the type of thing that we love. So we just appreciate being able to be open and, you know, creative as possible with you all. Yes. Well, we appreciate having you. Okay, so we're so going to end this broadcast today. Are we done, Brian? We're done. Okay. <laughs> Alright, guys. So thank you again. Thank you again. And right. just know that the um this particular broadcast will be posted again as a, on demand on YouTube on our YouTube channel, Genealogy Adventures. All those things will be placed on the actual comments. So you'll be able to have a link to get to the Genealogy Adventures YouTube channel. Um, but again, thanks and see you guys. Wait a minute, Brian. Mm -hmm. Next show. <laughs> We'll announce it next week. Because yeah. <laughs> it's late, so we'll just announce it later. <laughs> All right, you guys. So talk to you later. Until next time. Okay. Bye. 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 All right, guys. That was awesome. That was. Oh, she left. <laughs> she left. <laughs>